This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Welcome back to our special podcast interview with Greg Hall. In the late 1980s, Angus Armanasco gave you the privilege of riding a very special horse, a horse called Zetative, who won 14 from 17 before embarking on a great stud career. Mark Riley, Jim Cassidy and Neville Wilson each won a race on Zetative, but you rode him in the other 11 wins. What was it about this horse, Greg? He was a street fighter, wasn't he? You know what, John, it's easy to do your homework, which you always have, but, um, you know, I had a, not just yesterday, well, it was yesterday, but um, I have it every day. What's the best horse you rode? Mm. Now, generation, John, they probably never heard of him, but um, the best horse I rode was Zedidim. And Colin Tidy, a good friend of you and I, and um, lovely person. And well, he part owned him with the New Haven Park Stud Syndicate. Yes. Yeah. And and he was a great bookmaker and all that. But he was amazing horse, you know. When you couldn't get a run, he'd make a run. Well, him and I together would make one. And I, I always remember Des Gleason said to me, the head steward or Pat Lower, and said, he said, Greg. He said, you can take runs. He said, but you can't make them. I said, well, you tell him mm. because he was such a powerful horse, you know, and he was scared of nothing and I was, you know, I was fearless and and he would just take runs. He was an amazing, amazing horse. I wish he was around today. You won five group ones on him all up, a blue diamond, uh, the Channel 9 stakes in Brisbane, and then a William Reed, a Lightning and a Futurity, those latter three on the trot. He was a terrific horse and went on to become a great sire. Now get back to that Melbourne Cup, Greg, of 1992. You got moving on Sub-Zero about the 600 metres. You must have spotted Viander Cross being held up there for a while, were you, coming to the turn? Well, not really, John. um, Realistically... I drew 15, and um, which wasn't ideal, but I had a lot to do with Sub-Zero, right? Mm. And by fluke, if you want to answer, ask the question how I got on him, I'll tell you that later, but uh, I got on him by fluke. And um, But in the Melbourne Cup, talking about the Melbourne Cup, I thought 15's not good, you know, and there's 110,000 people there, so I've got to keep him calm in the mountain yard and all that. And um, mm. and he wasn't the best horse I rode, John, set, uh, and I don't mean that in, in, in a bad way, but um, he was a, he, he's my favourite horse. But um, And I was one off the fence running 12th, and Viander Cross was back inside me, and as we know, the history, the, the story of Shane Dye in the Corville Cup looking for a hot dog or a pie on the turn of, of some bloke on the fence or anyway. <laughs> but um, um, and I just spoke to him all, all the way through the race, you know, and seeing my way to him and 
24 mariots, all good, it's all good. And all my kid that's been brought up at Jacket a lot. Now, I never had many rides in the Melbourne Cup, mm. but I know the track backwards, right? Mm. And um, and I know there's going to be a rush at the 1200. It was a long way out in the Melbourne Cup. And horses talk, and they weren't bad horses either, you know, Castle Town, Vander Cross, and. and I just said steady, steady, steady. And it was unusual for me, John. I didn't really want to be in front 300 metres out. So we're fast forward here, right? Mm. You thought you got there too early, did you? Well, I didn't. Mm. But And he's not a puller. And you know what I'm talking about. Even you could ride him, John. Mm. But... um, yeah, <laughs> but um, and we hit the front of three hundred. Now I know Flemington backwards. Been a kid there since I was eight years of age, right? And I'm going. Now you might be happy, but I'm not happy. But he took me into the race of the three hundred, right? And I said, "You're happy, but I'm not." I'm talking to him, right? Mm. And I know how long the straight is. Then we got to the two hundred meter mark. Yeah, it was a length of length and a half in front. I got behind across. I, I can't see them in Castle Town. They weren't mugs, you know. Mm. They weren't bad horses, and and I just know in the Melbourne Cup that anything can happen. And it wasn't till the fifty twenty meter mark. I said, "Now we've got a baby." Yep. I said, "You." You get an extra bunch of carrots tonight. <laughs> and he won <laughs> clearly. Two might have been two and a half lengths. And I'll tell you what, John, mm. and people don't respect it. I'm glad you said that because he beat two good horses too, yeah. Vianda Cross and Castletown. They, right. weren't, they weren't mugs at it, you know. No. And he beat them on his, on his merits. I still can't get my head around the fact that you rode superimpose only once in his 74-start career, but you rode him on the right day in the 1992 Cox Plate. Now, I heard on the grapevine that you were doing your best to get yourself on Let's Elope in that Cox Plate. It, it was a funny chain of events. It was, John. It was, um, you know, I was, uh, Bart Cummins was staying at the Southern Crothers and um, in those days, I used to sling the concierge and um, couldn't get a message to him, but never got through to him. And um, when I did speak to him, he said, I'll think about it, son. And anyway, um, the bottom line was um, Thursday night, I didn't have a ride in the race. And Lee Friedman rang me, he said, you got to ride in the Cox Platter. I said, no. He said, you can ride the old boy superimpose. Mm. And um, as soon as I hung the phone up, you wouldn't believe who rang me. It wasn't Bart John. It was uh, David Hayes. He said, can you ride better loosen up? It was very <laughs> unlucky in the race. And um, oh, I said, and loyalty's meant the world to me then. And I said, you wouldn't believe it. I just took the ride on super and uh, yeah. no problem. And um, anyway, the, it was a great day and probably we'll never see a Cox plate like that again in our lives because they're all multiple uh, group one winners and um, 
and it was a beautiful day. And it's the only yeah. time I patted him. I asked him to ride him work on the Thursday, mm. and he said, "No, I'll see you at the races." I hadn't even touched the horse or patted him. I've seen him win two Epsons and two Doncasters or whatever, mm. or plus plus plus. And um, mm. it was a great race to ride in. I can assure you. It was it, a beautiful day. It was marred by that spectacular fall near the school when naturalism was one of the horses to hit the deck. You missed all the trouble. You swept around the outside, switched outside, let's elope at the top of the straight, and the old fellow gunned himself to the line that day, didn't he? He threw himself at the line. Oh, mate. If, albeit it's the only day I've ever rode him or touched him or patted him, mm. But I tell you what, he was a courageous horse, you know. When all that carnage happened, Jimmy Cassidy said to me and Rough Abbott, he said, gee, help me. I said, I can't, mate. I'm trying to help myself. And mm. and, and um, he just, you know, the whip rules have changed now, John. Thank God they weren't in those days because I probably wouldn't have rode again. But um, I wasn't out there to hurt him. But um, he was just a uh, courageous, tough horse, you know, and and that was the most beautiful race besides the Melbourne Cup. Everybody was out there, Simon Marshall, me, and Greg Charles, let's elope and better loosen up. But it was just a – it was – Memorable race. Oh, very memorable Greg, I think we could safely say Mahogany was your horse. You rode him in 34 of his 43 starts for 17 wins all up, including seven Group 1s. You know, the one that sticks in my mind more than any was the Victoria Derby when you sat on the fence in third spot. He was going to win a mile from home. You were never, ever going to lose that Victoria Derby. How did he feel underneath you? Well, John, one thing you haven't done is lost your memory. I know that, mate. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that till you told me. But he got beat in the um, bars at Mooney Valley and um, he was a horse that uh, only ever run twice, 2,400 metres and 2,500 metres. Only two times he'd done it, right? Mm. But he was absolutely a miracle horse, you know. Wouldn't matter if you drew 16, which he didn't, but a, and you wanted to cross him, he had the speed to do that. But you drop your hands on him and he'd go to sleep. And But that Derby day, I was there with Lloyd and Kerry, and um, I said, they won't beat this horse. Mm. And he was in the box seat, and he couldn't run a mile and a half to save his life. He was a super horse and he won four Group 1 races at 1,000 metres and he won the Caulfield Guineas and Australian Guineas and Queensland. Oh, it was just an amazing horse. First up, I wish they, Cox Plate Day, I wish they had listened to me and run him first up. They run him second up. You struck Octagonal, who was a, a three-year-old in great form. Under the weight for age scale, you had to give him 10 and a half kilos. You were still in front, 50 metres out. Yeah, and nothing against Raymond Shane Dyers. We nicknamed Slippers or Billy Idol. He's a good friend of mine, but um, he sat three deep, last, no cover, and it wasn't a bad horse that beat him, but there was 10.5 kilos difference. But mm. I begged and begged. 
um, Friedman's not to run him that first day in the Craig Lee Stakes, you know, um, six weeks before. I said, just run him first up, you know. Mm. But he was extraordinary horse, quite extraordinary. And you don't get the credit that, that you give him, John, no. Okay, we'll just pause for a moment on the podcast. Back with Greg Hall very shortly. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final English auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses of two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. Another very good horse you rode between 1990 and 1992 was Durbridge. Now, he was trained during your association with him by Brian Murphy from South Australia. Uh, Your first ride on him was a win. It was the Sandown Guineas. Do you recall the day? I do indeed. Mick Dippman was supposed to ride him and that's the end of our carnival in those days. It might have changed now, but after a heavy Caulfield, Cox Plate, four days at Flemington, yes, I understand Sandown's got the cup and the guineas, and but it was sort of a layback time, and Mick was supposed to ride him, and he didn't turn up, and um, they rang me, and I never heard of the horse, and apparently the bloke was a trotting trainer. John, you'd know that better than me. But, yes, he um, was. Mm. And I rode this horse, and he was back last, and he won the – Guineas at Sandown, and then I won the AJC Derby on it, and plus the Alistair Clark Stakes, and um, I lost. A, I didn't lose the ride on him, but um, because he clashed with Mahogany, yep. and he actually beat me when I rode Mahogany in the Australian Cup. Yeah. Mm. Well, he went to Lee Friedman after, of course, and he went on to win another eleven races with Friedman including six Group 1s. I think Simon Marshall was his regular rider during that era, but he was a very good horse, Durbridge. Now, Greg, let's look, let's look at your two golden slippers. Oh. Dan Zero in 1994, you got up and beat St Covert in a very tight finish and the pair of you bumped heavily one stride from the post. Do you recall that? I do, John. I'm, I'm quite embarrassed about it, actually. Because if you watch the replay and and you've been you've known me since I was sixteen, seventeen, riding as a kid back at Ramwick, Hasty Heart and all that, but um mm. I was embarrassed to ride the way I rode him out. But I had no room and he was a horse that um wasn't a real good trier. Oh yep. He didn't have a killer instinct in him. And um 
my whip action was nothing I could probably do again, but I turned myself around and hit him on the butt of the tail because I had no room and, and he fell in. But um, he was a good horse, but um, he had a mind of his own, you know. He ended up a good sire, actually. He did. Your second slipper winner was in 1996, a lovely little bay filly by Dane Hill by the name of Merlene. You win the race. There's major interference on the home turn. You get a two-month suspension and a $50,000 fine, an Australian record. It might have been a world record, in fact. Uh, what a dramatic slipper. Did you deserve all of that? Uh, before I answer that, John, sadly she passed away 10 days ago, um, yeah. Merlin. Yeah, and um, no, I didn't deserve it, mate, to, to be honest with you. Now, you know, I've been up uh, up and down and now I've retired. But um, I didn't deserve Mate, yes, I understand what I've done. But um, did I did, did the crime deserve the time? No, not at all. Um, I think there's a lot of politics involved and um, $50,000 fine. I got 61000 of a percentage, but I paid 49 cents of the dollar and I said, keep the check. I said, give the 11000 to the Royal Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. They said, no, pay him straight away. And anyway, they've... And ended up costing me eighty thousand, yeah. but um, plus the two months and suspension. Um, yeah, but John, in saying that, you know, I take a lot of risk. But with, in all honesty, um, it doesn't come without a price. You know, I broke my neck, I broke my back, I'd done twelve ribs, I was unconscious seven times, um, collarbones, wrists, and so, you know. You know, yes, how can I explain to you, John? You watched me all my life. But, um, yeah, I I was a risk taker and I took a risk and um, the horses in front of me weren't going any good. And, yeah, I I deserve to get suspended, but I don't know because it's never happened before and it's never happened after. Like Frankie Dottori got fined 20000 you know. It's Mm. 25 years later or whatever, you know. Yeah. Now, Greg, I've got to ask you this. Who paid the fine? I did. <laughs> Good. I hope you got well, it back. Well, see, John, I have to pay it because I got fined. Yep. But the real question is who paid me to pay it? Yep. <laughs> right. I'll let you work that out. Now to one of the most fascinating stories in Australian racing history, the 1987 Sydney Cup. Oh. Oh. Lloyd Williams and Kerry Packer own Major Drive, who looked a right. super hope in that cup. His form was brilliant. He was well-weighted. He'd won the chairman's handicap in a walk. Maya Card was the danger, a great three-year-old. His form was brilliant. He'd come off a brilliant derby win, but he was only a three-year-old, jumping up to two miles, and if ever Kerry and Lloyd were going to have a bet on one of their own, you would think Maya card, rather uh, major drive, was a very sound investment. And when you went to the barrier for that Sydney Cup, you assumed that they'd backed major drive. Anyway, take me through the race firstly. Were you confident in the run? 
I did ride him in the chairman's handicap and he won. Mm-hmm. And I went and met, met Mr. Pack and I've cut a long story short and um, I got well looked after. And I said to him, I said, I'll have a good chance in the Sydney Cup. He said, what are you talking about, boy? He said, he's got no hope. He can't be the favourite. So um, I get to the mountain yard and um, there was Lloyd, Susie, his wife, Mr and Mrs Williams and Mrs Packer, Ros, and um, I said, where's Mr Packer? And they said he's out doing his thing. And and Lloyd was fantastic, you know. He never gave me any instructions and... Um, he said, just have a safe journey, son, you know, and you know, all that. And um, behind the barriers, um, I'll never forget this, John, and I got a phone call. Yeah. And and Billy behind the gate, he said, oh, John Shrek rang me, Greg. He said, they're going to watch you the whole race. Yeah. Maybe a bit, a bit of a larrick. And I said, oh, that's good. There's 23 other runners. They're going to watch me. Yeah, yeah. And this one gets back last, you know, and I've got no idea what's going on, right? Yeah, well, you'd blown in the betting. You'd gone for a bath in the betting. Yeah, but I don't know that, John, no, behind the barriers. I, I got no idea, right? And I told Mr. Packer, you have a good chance, right? Mm. And um, and I get this phone call. I didn't really care about it, but um, Bill said to me, he said, no, Greg, he's serious. He's going to watch you the whole race. And as you said, I've got no idea. It went from two to one to eight to one or whatever. It did seven to two or whatever. But um, anyway, I win the race and um, and I'm thinking, oh, how good is this going to be after the chairman's handicap? He looked after me well, you know, and um, (laughs) – it's, and I'm thinking, how good is this? And John Shrek said to me, which wasn't a fan of mine, but um, we're all let to have our say now, you know, and um, I think there was a lot of any, – anyway, forget all that. But um, um, And he said to me, he said to me on the scales, I said, Mr Shrek, I said, what was – because they call you Hall or, or Tap or whatever, you know, sir, and they've got no respect for you and um, they – I said, oh, Mr. Shrek, I said, um, I said, what was that phone call about? He said, Greg, let bygones be bygones and all good that, all's good that ends well or yeah. whatever. And I'm going, no, what was the phone call? He said, listen to me, son. He said, let bygones be bygones and all's good, all's well that ends well. Mm. And, I, and I'm, so I had no idea, John, you know. No. But so I, you- and I didn't have a ride after, so I jumped into the shower, blah, 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 and I, Go to Mr. Packer's house at nine. He's got the cup there and he walks into his entourage and he said, come in here with me, son. I've never been to a house like that in my life as a kid brought up in Jaquita Lodge since I was eight. And mm. he said, I want – he got rid of his entourage and he's got this cup. He's, and I've seen all these cups with no wooden base on the bottom, right? Mm. And he said, hang on to this cup. We don't like this. I can't swear, John, but uh, – He didn't he like the wooden base. No, he, but he was pretty out. He said, hang on to this cup, something. He said, a terrific ride, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, how big is this going to be? And he put the cup down on the back of the mantelpiece with all his father's, Sir Frank, who I didn't know. He was passed yeah. away. But um, he put the cup down. He said, even though I had seven million on the second horse, you little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so I never end up with a sausage. Yeah, Greg, he laid <laughs> seven million to four million on Maya card, and he and he and he had and he backed the winner, major drive the week the week before to win. I don't know how much he won, but and the chairman's, 
he won the chairman's with it, and I tried. Yeah. Anyway, so then I got, then that penny dropped. I said, no wonder I got the phone call. <laughs> Mine's gone from three to one to eight to one or yeah, something. That's why you got the call, and the bill that you mentioned who passed on the message was Billy Cooper, who was the AJC starter at that time. And what a beautiful man he was, Bill. He, Great bloke. Oh, mate, since I was a kid, he looked after me so well. Yeah, he was a great man, Billy Cooper, who retired many years ago now. Now, your desperate emotional struggles were not helped by the fact that you were estranged for quite some time from your son, Nick. And I was delighted when you told me recently that you two have patched it up and you're having regular contact. Well, I wouldn't say, John, it was a patch-up, mate. I, I'd say to you... Um, it's, it been fixed, it's been fixed properly. It gets emotional, this, John, when I talk about this, but it wasn't a patch-up. When I lost his mother and his sister and I lost him through alcohol, not that I abused him or anything like that, but mm. I didn't understand that alcohol's a disease and... I've got a problem with it and I've had a drink for 12 months now but um, and I'm proud of that. But um, he went through life and um, I did, he made a choice himself and it was only 10 months ago. He brought his dad a car, um, not a Porsche or a Ferrari or anything like that. He said that to me. He said, Dad, he said, I can assure you it's not a, what you're used to. And... The biggest gift I got in life that I learned about mental health issue and alcohol and or whether it's ice or heroin or drugs or whatever, and don't get me wrong, John, I've been to three rehabs and um, I've done it all, you know, and um, a bloke found me and got me out the other end, not through a rehab. He'd done the opposite. But um, the greatest gift I got back is, is my son, and he was ringing me as – we are literally speaking now, mm. he, he was ringing, and um, not about you and I talking, but um, the greatest gift I got in life was uh, I got my son back in my life, and um, mm. and I, I, I understand about, you know, things, John, that um, it's all well and good, you know, fly, flying around the Learjets and 200-foot yachts, and I'm not talking about Carrier Lloyd or Shakes or the Queen or travelling the world and all that. But, I under, yes, I wanted to win the Melbourne Cup, but I didn't know winning a Melbourne Cup plus 207 group races and over 2,000 races, and I wanted to do all that. Mm. But I didn't know it come with a price, and the price was called You're Famous. Mm. And my go-to was... When I lost Kimmy and the kids in Dubai, I got back to Australia, Melbourne, and I didn't drink for 10 years. And You made up I'm, for it. No, I'm saying to myself as a, as a, well, as a kid or a bloke, um, I went back to the bottle and everything just spiraled out of control, John. But that... But but it doesn't discriminate from anyone, John, you know. No. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or a judge or you're Billy in the park or or 
it's a, it's a disease, you know. It's, it's a serious problem, you know. And um, I'm I'm just thankful I'm here, John, because there's eight suicides a day in Australia and six of them are men. Now, I've got the luxury now of going out and telling my story and I pass it on because I probably shouldn't be here, John. Well, I'm glad you are or we wouldn't be doing this podcast. No, exactly. <laughs> now, Greg, what a brilliant young rider Nicholas was. He didn't last long, but he managed to win nine Group 1 races in a very short time. He had to undergo surgery to both hips at one stage and he simply wasn't able to make it back. But he left an impression, didn't he? Do you want me to be honest about it, John? Mm, of course. I think the toes and the irons, I haven't got a problem with that. I think when Frankie Dottori came out here when he was 19 years of age and he made it up with me and and he set a trend, right? Um, mm. I'll cut it short. None of us had hip problems. Huey Bowman isn't. Darren Beeman isn't. Darren Gouty has it. Pat Holden has it. We can go on and on because we rode with our feet in the irons, right? Yep. Okay. And um, Nicholas, um, getting back to Nicholas, though, yes, he did have two. They they go in one day. There's multiple. Benny Mullen, heaps, heaps of them do it now, right? Now, that's telling me because you're riding with your toes in the iron. Right, but I'm not out there to tell them that. But there's multiple of them now that have hip shaves, right? Mm. They go in one day and they come out and they've got three months recovery. Now, as far as Nicholas goes, he had three of them done, right? But the reality is my son, he loved the horse. And he loved riding. He'd never been to the races before he was 17 and never even rode a pony. My story's different. I could ride before I could walk. But, um, and to be brutally honest with you, John, he didn't like it. Mm. Now, when I say that, he wasn't happy. Mm. He rode two Caulfield Cups, nine Group 1 winners in five minutes. The first two years he rode 200 winners and his first ride was at Caulfield in the city and it won and there's only two blokes done it, him and Harry White, their first ride in the city. But I speak to him a lot now every day, right, and he didn't like being a jockey. No, he, he loved riding mm. and he was an absolute superstar. Well, I'm not saying that because he's my son, but he's he, for the short short term that he had, it speaks for itself. But he did he wasn't enjoying what he was doing, John. So it's like instead of me riding sub zero, you say, Oh Greg, I'm gonna give you a million a day to lay bricks. Well, I'm not gonna be happy, you know, it wouldn't matter what you go. He he wasn't happy. And you know what? He's the happiest, most beautiful person now. Mm. It's bringing a tear to my eye. And he speaks to his dad every day and he understands what I've been through. And, it, you know, racing, John, is, I, you know, I put it in front of every, everything. My son, 
me daughter, me wife, me friends, and I loved it with a passion. But the sad part about it was is I put that first instead of the rest of it. But when it ends, there's no one there. Mm, yep. I've seen you come back to the winner's circle on many big race winners. You were always excited. You were proud. You were fulfilled. You were grateful for the opportunity. You were unable to contain your joy when you came back on one of those Group 1 winners. Greg, that's the way all of your friends like to see you. Treat every day like a race day, mate, and try to imagine you've just ridden another Group 1 winner. And thanks for talking to us on the podcast. Thanks very much, Johnny. And um, one thing I will say is, mate, is uh, you've always been a friend of mine and the media have too, and and the great thing is I've got now is I've got the luxury of um, a friend of mine said to me, Greg, not only are you a champion jockey, he said, but you've been through the hard times and you can send a message now. And the message is when you're in that dark spot, just pick up the phone or speak to a friend and um, and and talk to people, you know. Well, I'm glad you spoke with us today, mate. Thanks for your time, Greg, on the podcast, which has been produced by Supernova South. The stallion representation at the English Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, Not a Single Doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinchinbrook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medagliadoro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never and Zoostar. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the English Ready to Race sale at Riverside. <laughs>